Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Now, what else could Joseph have said at that time other than what he said in verse 30 and verse 30? I will do as thou hast said. I will do as thou hast said. Okay, so Joseph has now promised that he's going to do what Jacob has asked him to do. But was that really enough for Jacob? Was that enough? Was Jacob satisfied with Joseph just saying that in verse 30? I will do as thou hast said. Was it? No. No. No, it wasn't. Wasn't enough. Because Jacob went on to say in verse 31, swear unto me. Swear unto me. Now, when Joseph did swear to Jacob that he would not bury him in Egypt, he'd carry his father, his remains out. Was that enough? Yes. That was enough. How do you know he was satisfied? How do you know it was enough? Because of verse 31, Israel bowed himself upon the bed's post. Jacob, you see him in this finally resting. He's finally got what he wanted. I mean, this is a lot of drama. A lot of drama right now over getting assurance that Jacob was not going to be buried in Egypt. But notice how Jacob, in all of this drama, is called Israel. He is Israel in all this drama. So it wasn't Jacob who was agitated not to be buried in Egypt. It was Israel, which shows that the person who was all agitated was the man who was the prince of God. Now, when you compare the deaths of the three patriarchs, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What was there that was different about Jacob's death compared to the deaths of Abraham and Isaac? What would you say? Something was different about Jacob's death compared to Abraham and Isaac's. Simple question, not complicated, yes. Unlike Abraham and Isaac, Jacob died in a foreign land. He died in a foreign land. And that was what was so strong on Jacob's mind. He was sitting there thinking, he was saying to himself, my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, they died in the land of Canaan. I'm not going to die in that land. I'm going to die in Egypt. So why should it matter? Why should it matter to Jacob where he's buried? After all, what difference does it make whether they're Canaanite worms or Egyptian worms that are going to eat his body? What difference does it make? Well, it was important. It was important for Jacob because Jacob wanted in his burial to make a last statement to the world that he was turning his back on everything that Egypt had, all the pleasures and all the idolatry, and he chose to not be buried in Egypt. Bury me not in Egypt. And that was a statement of faith, and he knew that he was being watched. Jacob knew he was being watched. Jacob knew he was being watched by his children. He knew he was being watched by his grandchildren, and he just wanted this last statement to be very, very clear that Egypt was not the home of the people of God, but heaven was the home. Now, that's a lesson for us. 
that's a lesson for us to realize we're being watched. We're being watched in the decisions we make, and we're helping to guide those. And that's why he says so strongly in verse 30, I will lie with my fathers. He's saying, I'm, he's saying, uh, I'm not going to turn away from the faith of Abraham and Isaac, and therefore it's important you bury me with them. Now, what's important is not the ceremony of how he died. Like a friend told me recently, he said, Tom, with you going skiing now, says, you know, we're going to get a phone call that you hit some tree. So we think that you should do your own service now. You should plan it all out. <laughs> so, well, that wasn't what was important during the memorial service for, or the flowers or anything like that. It was the place. It was the place where he would be buried. And he says, carry me out of Egypt. Now, he has to re- Jacob has to rely on Joseph to carry his body out of Egypt, and that's why he worked to get this oath from him to carry him out of Egypt. And, and sometimes we are so weak and we are so defeated that we just don't have the strength, and that's the time really to pray to God, Lord, I'm in a temptation right now. Carry me out of Egypt. Anyway, he wants to be buried in Canaan, and his last statement is going to be that. So that's what he wanted, and, and he wanted to be in this cave that... Um, of Machpelah that Abraham had purchased and that Abraham was buried in, Sarah was buried in, Leah was buried there, Isaac was buried there, Rebecca was buried there. And so it's now a mosque. Nothing's perfect, you know. <laughs> so anyway, so then he bows himself on the post. It says bedpost. There's only one Hebrew vowel difference between bedpost and staff. Might have been a staff. Septuagint so translates as a staff. We're not going to argue. But what a victory that was that Jacob had. What an example of a life that's victorious. Bury me not means the world's not my home. So he wants to be carried out. He wants to be buried in this place. He says, I will lie with my fathers. Now, here it's important when he says in verse 30, I will lie with my fathers. Here it's important for us to get a little bit deeper than the English. Because the King James is just not reflecting what the Hebrew is stating. See, when Jacob said in the Hebrew, what Jacob said in the Hebrew was more of a sequence. He says, first, I will lie with my fathers. Then you will carry me out of Egypt. Then you will bury me in the burying place. So the New American Standard got it right, and the NIV got it right too. So the New American Standard translates it like this. When I lie with my fathers, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. And the NIV says, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt. The Hebrew here, the NIV and the New American Standard got right, is very important because when you read this first, the way it is here in the King James, it makes it sound like Jacob will lie with his fathers when Joseph buries him in the cave that they're buried in, and that's not what he said. And that's why the word when is very critical for an understanding here, what Jacob is saying. When I lie with my fathers, he's saying, when I lie with my fathers, It's very important. So why this is so important is it shows to us an understanding that Jacob had about death. Jacob described his death as being immediately united with his fathers. And then later his body would be buried with their bodies where they were buried. And that's exactly how Jacob's death is described when he does come to die in Genesis 49.33. In Genesis 49.33, it says, And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. See, right there it identifies that as soon as he died in Genesis 49.33, 
as soon as he died, it says he was gathered to his people. Describes a sequence here. You know, keep your eye on the feet. His feet go into the bed. He stops breathing. He's gathered to his people. That verse is stating that as soon as he gave up the ghost or breathed his last breath, at that moment, he was united with his fathers. That was the moment of his death. He was united with his fathers. Then the next chapter, which is chapter 50, we read what actually happened to his body. And it says in chapter 50, verse 1, Joseph fell upon his father's face, wept upon him, kissed him. Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father, and the physicians embalmed Israel. And 40 days were fulfilled for him. So are fulfilled the days of those which are embalmed, and the Egyptians mourned for him three score and ten days. Wow. So when the, that's 70. So when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spake unto the house of Pharaoh, saying, If now I found grace in your, in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Lo, I die in my grave which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan. There shalt thou bow, bury me. Now, therefore, let me go, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I'll come again. So there's 40 days of embalming during the same time, let's just say. There's 70 days of mourning. So it's 70 days later, at least. It's more than 70 days later. Just, you know, they got to get the caravan ready and, you know, make the request and et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it, we really could be talking about approaching three months. So three months after he dies, his body is carried up to Machpelah there and buried with his fathers. Now, Jacob knew that he would be embalmed, and he, and he said that, you know, that as soon as he died, he would be united with his fathers. But what he said was that when I die, I will immediately be united with my fathers. And that's how Jacob understood death, the same way as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.8. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. As soon as we die, we are absent from the body as Jacob was, and we'll be present with the Lord just as Jacob was. See, that's why Psalm 73, Psalm 73, 23 describes death like this. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holding me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. See, David described life and death as a state of being continually with God. And life is being guided by the counsel of God, and afterlife is to be received up to glory, which is what the Lord Jesus prayed. The Lord Jesus prayed that in John 17, 24. John 17, 24, he said, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me. I am continually with thee. Where I am, that they may behold, behold my glory afterward receive me to glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. So what Jacob was saying here was no matter where he died, that he would be with the fathers. His soul and his spirit would be with his fathers. And since his fathers were with Jehovah Jesus, they would be with Jehovah Jesus. I mean, he could say, Jacob could say, if I die in Egypt, I'll go immediately to my fathers. If I die in Canaan, I'll go immediately to my fathers. No matter where I die, I'm going immediately to my fathers. Now, People sometimes ask me, do the Jewish people believe in an afterlife? They ask that question. Do the Jewish people believe in an afterlife? Well, the Jewish people today don't think about the afterlife. And today, the afterlife for the Jewish people is that they don't see any particulars about it. They don't really see the afterlife clearly. 
It's kind of fuzzy. It's kind of hazy. That's not the way it was for the Old Testament saints. It's not the way it was. What Jacob said here is proof that the Old Testament saints look forward to the afterlife with a certainty, with a clarity of vision, where for them, there was no doubt about it. They were going to be reunited with fellow believers or united with believers. Jacob, along with all the Old Testament saints, believed that at the time of death, you go to the fathers and that later, in his case, bury his remains with their remains. And that's a great encouragement for us, great encouragement for the family of Jeffrey Whitkey, missionary in, in, who's been kidnapped in Africa for so long, hasn't been heard from. But whether or not Jacob's body was buried in Egypt or Canaan, that all depended on Joseph. And that's a very important for Jacob to make this statement here. And because what he was saying here with this burying in, in, in Canaan was the continuation of what he said to Pharaoh. What he said to Pharaoh in Genesis 47.9 Genesis 47.9, Jacob said unto Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. He sees his whole life as a pilgrimage. Jacob sees his life as, and he wanted to be known as a pilgrim. And now he's in Egypt, and now things have really changed for Jacob. I mean, he's got the best that he's ever had in life. He's got wealth, he's got an abundance of food, he's got pleasures. I mean, what Pharaoh said to him as a promise in Genesis 45.20 when he came, Genesis 45, 20, regard not your stuff. The good of all the land of Egypt is yours. It's all yours. But Jacob's heart was now exercised and really worked up that he wanted to make sure everybody knew none of those things moved him. None of those things moved him away from his pilgrimage. And his last gesture is gonna be to be to where he's gonna be buried is gonna make that statement loud and clear. You know, it's just like... Um, just like John Newton wrote in his hymn, Come My Soul, Thy Suit Prepare, when he wrote, Show me what I have to do, every hour my strength renew. Let me live the life of faith. Let me die thy people's death. This is Jacob dying the people of God's death. So it's a great example for us because here we live in America's finest city in San Diego. <laughs> and when the world sides up against us in San Diego and says, friend, that we don't turn back to the world and say, friend. But just like Jacob, we continue on, and like the hymn says, we're going in the way of, the hymn says, the faith of our fathers or that old-time religion and reject any friendship with the world. That's what he's doing here. And this has an impact on uh, Jacob. As soon as he gets this promise, he bows his head upon the bed's head. Very symbolic. He's like turning his back on Egypt turning his back on the world when he bows his head there and he turns to God. Just like it says in Hebrews 11.38. Hebrews 11.38 says, of whom the world was not worthy, wasn't worth it for them. They wandered in deserts, mountains, caves, dens. They all died. They retained a good report through faith, not receiving the promises God had provided for them. So better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. So that's interesting, it says that. Because what it says there, when Jacob says he wants to gather with his fathers, in other words, he, there's a completeness there, a sense of completeness. God has it that Jacob without his fathers would not be complete. God has it that Jacob without us should not be complete. God has it so that Jacob without all the saints will not be complete until the whole church, the whole Israel of God is complete, all gathered around the Lord Jesus in heaven. That's the full meaning 
of to be gathered with the fathers, to be gathered with the fathers. It's an eventual gathering together of all the saints together. Now, we come now to chapter 48. And what's interesting about chapter 48 is this is, of course, the last section of Genesis, which comes in three chapters, 48, 49, and 50. So we stand here, we look over these three chapters, and it really, it's chapter 49 that's the climax. Why? Because that's the chapter where the 12 sons of Jacob are blessed and their futures are foretold. Now, you think about the book of Genesis, you think about the book of beginnings, and you ask yourself the question, what is the beginnings about? What's the beginnings about? Well, of course, the beginning is the book of creation, and so that began the earth, the heavens, man, plant life, animal life, but it's also the beginning of sin and the fall of man. But this book of beginnings has a far more significant history or beginning in it, because this book of beginnings has a history of the beginning of redemption, it's the beginning of the, the salvation. It's the beginning of God's rescue for man. So that's the reason why the most important verse in the book of Genesis is Genesis 3.15, where it says that God was going to put enmity between the woman and, and her seed, the seed of the woman, and the devil. And the seed of the woman was going to crush the head of the devil, but the devil was going to bruise his heel in the process. So this is where God reveals that his plan of salvation was for a man to be born who was very unique. He's the only man who was ever called in his Bible the seed of the woman. Later, he calls himself the seed of man. He would only have this term. He's the only one. So in this book of beginnings, it's really the beginning of the revelation that man is going to be redeemed. Man's going to be saved. Man's going to be rescued by this man who's called the seed of the woman. So from this point, from that point in Genesis 3.15, all eyes were looking for that special man who was called the seed of the woman. And from that point, there was like a hunger, there was like a yearning to find this special man. Where is the seed of the woman that's gonna save man from their sin? So from Genesis 3.15, the only thing that we learned about this special person, and it was gonna be called the seed of the woman, but the second most important verse in the Bible, and you might not have thought of it this way, it tells us more about the seed of the woman, and the second most important verse is chapter four, verse one. Genesis chapter four, verse one. Now you may look at that and say, so what? That's nothing. It says, Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. So you say, what's that so important about all this thing is that Eve had a baby named Cain, and she got him from the Lord, that's all. No, no. That verse is so important because it's what Eve actually said in the Hebrew that makes it so astounding. Now, it's translated, I have gotten a man from the Lord. That's not what she said. That's not what Eve said, and the Hebrew is crystal clear. As a matter of fact, I've oftentimes wondered, why didn't any translator get this right? And I'm not saying anything, but I'm just saying this. It says this in Hebrew, kaniti ish et Yahweh. Kaniti means I have gotten, and ish is man, I have so, and et is who is, it's a direct object, and Yahweh is God, or, or Jehovah. So what she really said here when her firstborn was, was born was that I have gotten a man who is God. That's what she said. And there was Eve. She had fallen into this terrible condition of sin. She has just heard from God that a man is going to be born called the seed of the woman. This man would save her from her sins. And when she gives birth to her first son, she assumes, well, here he is. I've just gotten the seed of the woman who would now save her. But she didn't know that wasn't the one, but never mind. But what was astounding was what she did know. 
when she called him, this is the man who is God. Now, that's why Genesis 4.1 is such an important verse in Genesis because it shows that Eve understood that the Savior was gonna be both man and God. What Eve said in Genesis 4.1, she understood that when God was standing before her in Genesis 3.15 and said the seed of the woman was gonna enter into a bloody fight with the devil and was gonna save man by crushing the head of the devil, he was also gonna get his heel. Eve understood that God was saying to her, and I'm gonna be that man. That's what she knew. She knew that God would become man, the seed of the woman would crush the head of the Satan and his heel would be crushed. So Genesis 4.1 is really the beginning of the revelation that the Savior would be God who became man. See, when she said that, she revealed she already knew the truth of Isaiah 9.6. Isaiah 9.6, which says, unto us a child is born, and his name shall be called the mighty God. She knew that. So what happened in Genesis 4.1 was that a child was born to Eve, and she called the name of the child the mighty God. Now, Eve was expecting her child was gonna be the mighty God and that he would immediately crush the head of Satan and then save them from their sins. She should know there was a little 4,000 years or so before it was actually gonna happen that the man who was gonna be born who was to be called the mighty God, but okay. So then what happened in Genesis, and then three men emerge, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and from them spring 12 men who are the 12 tribes of Israel who become the people of Israel, become the Jewish people, and it would be from these people that finally the child is gonna be born who's called the mighty God. That's gonna be the seed of the woman who's called the mighty God. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He calls himself the son of man. And that's why chapter 49 is the climax of this last section of the three chapters of Genesis because this is the launch. This is the launch of the 12 tribe people of Israel into the coming sea of humanity. And through this people, through these 12 tribes, God is gonna bring the seed of the woman. God is gonna bring that man, that man who is God, to save man from their sins. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Through this people of these 12 tribes of, uh, of Israel, God will give his book to man, the Bible. And through this people, God will bring his knowledge, the knowledge of God, across the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. And that's why we could call the book of Genesis the book of launching, because the book of Genesis is ending with this launching of the people of Israel who will bring the Savior, who will bring God's book, the revelation of God, the Bible, into the world. So that's why chapter 49 is, is the climax of the section, and chapter 48 is just the, the natural introduction. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, for bringing the seed of the woman yourself, Lord Jesus, into the world to save man. And now, Lord, as we, as we are getting ready now to look at these last three chapters here, we pray that you would open our eyes more to see the wonders of the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. 
You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Reach Israel. Join Tom Cantor for the second annual Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference in San Diego, California, February 22nd and 23rd at the Creation and Earth History Museum. Early bird registration, only $99, includes a two-day conference pass, meals, teaching, Creation Museum and Tabernacle admission, plus over $150 worth of equipping resources. Come hear Tom Cantor, Dr. Michael Brown, Dan Sered, and more on how we can reach the lost in America and Israel on February 22nd and 23rd. Call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at ReachIsrael.com. That's ReachIsrael.com. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 